You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, it's Scott Lips, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Spin Magazine's Lip Service, the show where we touch base on our guest journey and path in life all the way to present day. My next guest is someone who I've been friendly with for years. He's also part of my extended family of friends. He's the lead guitar player of the band Extreme, and some may say the best rock and roll guitar player currently in the rock world, definitely carrying the torch for the likes of Eddie Van Halen. He is Nuno Betancourt. I think you're going to thoroughly enjoy this interview. We get into everything from the Super Bowl with Rihanna to his cover Rolling Stone to Queen to Zeppelin, everything in between. Extreme is back. They have a new record, six, dropping June 9th. The video is blown up. Two million plus views. Nuno is one of the best guitar players on the planet and a friend for many years. Howard Stern just asked Brian May, the greatest guitar players of all time, and on that list was none other than Nuno. So welcoming to the show in a moment, my friend, Mr. Nuno Betancourt. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. And now a word from our new friend of the show. Fellas, do you feel like you might want to spice things up in the bedroom? Bluetooth tablets just for fun will bring that added spice and fun back into your bedroom. What's a Bluetooth tablet, you say? It's a chewable tablet with the same active ingredient as Viagra and Cialis. The difference is it costs just a fraction, it's delicious, and you don't have to deal with going to the doctors and having that awkward conversation with them. It's as easy as going online, speaking to a medical provider, and they send them your way. Use my code for a free month supply. Go to bluetooth.com, use lips, and you pay only five bucks for shipping. Do yourself a favor and bring back the fun into your bedroom. And now back to the show. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. How are you, my brother? Thank you. Uh, the homeless guy out front almost didn't let me in. So <laughs> it wasn't me, I promise. I know, I know. You scared me, though, when you answered the door. <laughs> it's funny. I, uh, I was just listening to this Stern thing where uh, Brian May spoke about you the other day as one of the greatest guitar players in the world. Mm. It's got to feel good and surreal when you're listening. I mean, did you listen to that like, real time, or did somebody call you and say, did you hear this? Yeah, these days it's always people sharing everything. It's you know, it's Everything is shared real time, but I'm... I'm the guy that's always hustling and working, so my phone just, you know, I know something's going on when my phone starts blowing up, so yeah. when you, you start getting family members and, and you know, you, your manager and and uh, label and band and everybody's sharing stuff on threads, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think, look, to, to keep it in perspective, Brian May mentioning what he mentioned is, uh, he's definitely one of the sweetest guys on the planet, <laughs> yeah, yeah. without a doubt, and uh, to even have him say in the same breath was like Jeff Beck and Edward Van Halen, and then he mentioned my name. I'm, uh, you know, it's, you can't, you can't even fathom or even pay too much attention to it, yeah. because, you know, look, as a guitarist and as a musician, you always do the best you can do, and you, you know where you are and what you do. But in the pecking order, in the scheme of things, uh, I don't know about that one. But uh, I'll take I'll take what I can get at fifty six. <laughs> to be know? fair, he didn't actually met, he actually was like raving about you and your playing, and he was like he's he was talking about the fact that he didn't even understand what you did because it was so complex, right? Yeah. So it's a little bit more than just mentioning your name, but it was incredible. And I was just congratulating you. Extreme is back, incredible new record after it's almost like Chinese democracy. Yeah, I wanted to call it Portuguese democracy, <laughs> right. but the band wouldn't go for it because uh, that's basically the main reason why we waited. I wanted to beat that record out, and we did, and then you know, here we are. But I was talking about it a little bit in the hallway, and we were actually we ran into each other the other night. We were chatting, and you have so many great stories. We'll talk about like this Paul McCartney story we were mm. talking about the other day. But you know, f- to not put out a record for 15 years, and all of a sudden the video is at like two million. Every magazine, everyone mm. out there in the music world is raving. I mean, people always raved about you, but it's almost like another level with this record. Did you really expect this kind of reception on this record? I calculated every second of it. <laughs> yeah, <you did. laughs> That's why I waited exactly 13, 15 years. This is going to happen. Two million views. No, look, it's 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 uh, actually a bit uh, overwhelming. You know, you, one of the things about you said waiting waiting to do an album is it, it starts there. It's it's we probably had four albums worth of material over the last 10 years. It's not like we stopped writing. But people say, then why now? Why then? I think, you know, I've never, a lot a lot of my peers, you know, and, and to their credit, you release albums to tour. 
You release albums, you know, I'm very financially detrimental to my own career (laughs) because we could have released four or five albums, taken the advances and just, you know, worked off them. But for me, I've always said to Gary at a young age, man, 17, 18 years old, said like, I don't ever want to release anything that isn't, that I'm not proud of, that isn't meaningful, has something to say, whether it's lyrically, emotionally, guitar-wise, band-wise, chemistry. It's either all in and we're feeling something that's going to actually touch people and move people like like Rise is doing, or I'd rather not say anything. And I think, uh, you know, it's a combination of seeing all the reaction. When my, when my phone started coming in and you got peers of yours, heroes of yours, like O'Brien May or Steve Lukather or even Morello and Vi and these guys, and they start saying, hey, man, this is something, there's some other shit going on here, and you know, and you start going, and, and for you, you're thinking, really? I mean, this is what I've been doing for, you know, nearly 40 years, yeah. so, and I was trying to take, do the math on it, why it hit a million, then two million, and then seeing the reaction of, you know, how the, the, the big trend of, of watching people watch something, right, you know, the reaction yeah. videos, and seeing how crazy that has been, I kind of, looked at it and I'd go, I, I think I know what's happening here. Yeah, you know, the solo's cool. Everybody's raving about the solo, but I've been doing solos like that and for, for, for decades. And also the song. But I think in this generation, like right now for a band from our generation, from that far back in the 1900s when we, <laughs> when we were around, I think, I think uh, when we look at guitar players now, which there are so many great players that I follow on Instagram and on the socials, jaw-dropping. I sit there and I just... My com- I, I don't comment on anything, but when I see something, I'm just like, fuck you. That was like, what is that? I'm, I feel the same way about these new players. And, and it's not to say that they don't do gigs, but the way they the way they connect with people now is it's sitting in a chair at home. Yeah, You know what I mean? We look at them on Instagram and they're doing these amazing things. So it's all kind of technically driven. And I think why people's heads are exploding on Rise is, is the mythology of rock and roll. Yeah. You look at that video and you see it and you see the passion because when you're sitting in a chair just doing it, the fire is missing and there's a physicality, right? When you see a guitar player in a video going all in, it's a physical thing. Like when we used to watch Edward or even Stevie Ray Vaughan or they don't play guitar. It's like another limb that they have. Yeah. So it becomes the whole like, wow, within a song, within a hook, within vocals, within harmonies, lyrics, the band's performing, it's all cylinders. So I think the excitement is, I was getting more like thank yous than just like, hey, great track. It was like, right. it was like man, I think you just guys just brought rock and roll from your generation back single-handedly or even guitar playing within a realm of a song. Because there's a lot of great modern bands, you know, even you know, Five Finger Death Punch, like... They, the guitar playing, everything on there is sick. It's just a different generation yeah. of music. Where, So I think it was more, I realized that people are kind of starved for it in a bit. You know, I, I mean, probably why, you know, uh, uh, why Def Leppard and, and, and Motley Crue are doing stadiums yeah. and, and why and why Guns is doing stadiums. It's just like there's a little bit of a starvation for that kind of rock and roll from late 80s, early 90s vibe. So listen, I'm, when they you're say that, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it, and I'm like, you're welcome. I, you know, but but I did say that to Robbie, our manager, early on. He's like, what do you want to do with this album? And for me, I was just like, and I don't mean this arrogantly. It was just more like, I just, I, I want to do a rock album. I want somebody to be able to put headphones on for 50 minutes or take a drive in the car and just curate an album from front to back like we used to listen to. So it's not just playlisted. Because I get, I'm not that guy, well, back in my day, you know, I get digital i get dsps i get all of that but there's something about curating an album that can be a soundtrack to your life for that year or summer and it's you discover things throughout you know every time i played it for people they're like i didn't catch this the first time and that's to me is a word i use called simplexity you know we all know rock and roll is simple music is basic it's a three and a half minute song it's got a verse it's got a, it hasn't changed it's like the beginning of time but if you if you care enough about it you keep it simple, but then if you want to go back, there's complexities underneath, you, like Brian May was talking about. And I think that's why he connects with my playing. I don't think it's just the playing. It's like we're nothing like Queen, but we're phil- philosophically like mm. Queen, which we don't care and we do what we love and we don't worry whether it's heavy or whether it's too heavy or whether it's light or whether it's more than words. And people were like, you guys are all over the place. Actually, no. Zeppelin, Van Halen, Aerosmith, uh, you know, Queen, they had music, more musicality within one album than most bands do their careers now. 
So I think that's where we come from is we're in our own bubble. So when somebody says, man, rise, it's modern. You guys are crying. Go, yeah, that's exactly what we were doing. No, I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in our own bubble, you know. Well, I've had some time to sit with the record. It's fantastic, by the way. But also, you always reinvent yourself. Mm. It's never the same record twice. It's mm. always, there's always surprises on an extreme record. And this record in particular is so strong. And you're right, it is modern. But there's all kinds of music on it, right? You have, you have the ballads. You have the heavy stuff. Yeah. There's amazing songs on this record. You have so many great life moments. And we were just talking about Brian, man. I want to talk to you about some of those moments and your history and how you grew up and everything. Talk to me about, let's take it back to the beginning. You grew up in the Azores. A lot of people don't know where that is. Azores, Portugal. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful places in, on, in the world. Uh, nine islands, part of Portugal. And I'm from an island called Terceira. I was born in a town called Praia de Vitoria. And uh, as a matter of fact, we're doing Concert for Earth there as well. Yeah, we'll talk about uh, that. We'll too. talk about that. Yeah. But that's where I'm from. It's part of Portugal. A lot of people don't know it exists. Some people, you know, I think most people in this country think that Portugal isn't a country anyways, that they speak <laughs> Spanish there. But that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other uh, question for a different TV show. One of 10 kids. One of 10, the youngest of 10. Yeah. Uh, all amazing musicians. My dad played multiple instruments. And to be honest with you, before we talk about, you know, our heroes and you got your, you know, my, my Mount Rushmore, you got, you got your uh, guitar players that are always in, in bands for me, you know, Brian May and Queen, Jimmy Page and Zeppelin, Eddie and Van Halen and, and also Randy Rhodes, yeah. you know, with, with Ozzy. Well, Hendrix too, I think. Too, Hendrix, right? yeah. Hendrix too, but my, my brother was my first guitar hero and uh, Louie and I have some, so many inspirational brothers and sisters that played music, but Louie was beyond belief, still is as a player. And every time I've tried to keep him a secret, he's back in the Azores. I put him there so nobody finds out that I stole everything. <laughs> he's in a from box. Him. He's in a box somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, he uh, he's insane. And and every time somebody sees him play, they look at me and they go, Ah, okay. That's where you get you it from. Thief. Yeah. So was that really your, your first memory of like wanting to do this for a living? Because early on, you were sort of a jock, which again, I didn't know. <laughs> it's weird to know that maybe you wanted to be an actor. Or I, I heard somewhere that you were into like hockey and football. Like uh, it wasn't really your passion growing up, right? Music? No, it was, I think when it's part of your family, it just is. It's like food on the table and yeah. there's guitars in the corner, there's keyboards around and you kind of pick them up. But in a weird way, you're watching your brothers and uh, doing this for a living in such an age gap, right? That you're kind of doing it, but it's part of the family. You sing Beatles songs at Christmas, and you pull out the book, and it's just the norm. I, I didn't know until friends came over, and they're like, "Yo, your family's like out of control. Like, what is going on here?" Yeah, I'm like, and I'm like, "What, really?" You know, I just thought that was normal yeah. uh, growing up. So yeah, I was obsessed with sports, everything. You know, when you, you grow up in New England, and it's hockey, and then it's obviously being Portuguese. Let's call it football, but it's soccer yep. uh, as well. And obviously NFL, everything, basketball, all of it. We did all of it. And, and that's one of the things that probably connected me and Gary as well. You know, a bunch of uh, jocks, actually. You know? Yeah, it's funny. So your first concert was really Super Tramp? Or Super Tramp. Super Tramp. My first real concert was, it was a, in Worcester, Worcester Centrum. And uh, uh, a buddy of mine, um, uh, Joe, Joe Barros, who's the keyboard player in my, one of my first bands, took me. And my head exploded. And that's not a lot of, you know, a lot of people would be embarrassed to say it was Super Tramp. <laughs> right. It was Led Zeppelin. It was Van Hill. No, it was Super Tramp. And it was insane. I love Super Tramp. And then I saw Petey Gabriel after that. But that was really my first, like, whoa. Like, I, I knew then, actually, pretty early on, that it was hard for me to contain myself being in the audience. Mm. I, I kept getting closer to the stage. I kept wanting to know what was going on. The guy, even the guy tuning the piano on stage at Sanchez, I, I went all the way around just to see what was happening. And I start, as I started seeing probably more hipper bands, you know, like crew and different bands, once again, and I saw Ozzy, I was, I had a hard time being out in the audience. Like it really, it hurt me. And so that's when I knew it's like, a, something's wrong here. Like I'm, I'm not meant to be on this side of the, this side of the stage. You know? Did your brother have a band or was it just something he did for fun back No, home? no, my brothers, are you kidding me? I ended up one of my first bands ever. Uh, I was in, my first band ever was called Myth. But it was I love it. It's like myth, sinful. I love myth, all these names. Sinful. It's like, yeah, the, you know, the worst band, the worst band <laughs> yeah. names in the world. And and but then I ended up in the band, which is another great name, Viking. Right. It was a progressive the rock band. The worst names ever. Yeah. yeah, it was a progressive rock band with my brother Louis, my brother Robert. And uh we played like all this kind of yes flavored, you know, progressive pro rock. And I was at like 14, 15, I was playing at the Paradise and playing all these clubs that later in life I would play in, in the in more of a rock band. But those were the years that shaped me. You know, people got to understand, it's like, 
I've never taken really a lesson of anything or gone to any sort of university for, for music. But when you have 10 kids in your family and one room you walk into because of the gap, I'm the youngest one room, you, it's like Joe Cocker's. And you walk in another room, it's Van Halen. You go over there, it's the Bee Gees and the Beatles in the other room. So you're getting this like just lush and beautiful library of music that I would have never been brought up in with my generation or at my age, you know? But it was really Aerosmith early on, a lot yeah. of these artists that, it was the emotional connection for you that really drew you to them, right? Yeah, Get Your Wings, I think, really messed me up. I remember staring at that album cover and seeing Joe Perry with that blonde hair streak and them just sitting there. I think we kind of almost copied that on the Porn Graffiti album, that they were just sitting there doing doing a photo. and. That album and, and the, the dirtiness of it, but the funkiness of it and the swing of it, like there was something just really raw. And it wasn't even because they were from our area. It didn't occur to me until like later on. It's always mythology. You know, we're talking, like I said, back in the 1900s, yeah. no, no internet, no right. nothing. So we had to kind of, you know, when we heard something, it was all rumors. But I didn't know that Joe Perry, literally two or three towns over, that's where he started for me and that he played Marlboro High School, which was next door. And then they did this and they met up in up in Maine. So then it became even more of a mythology for us. And it, we, we felt this connection with them. It's interesting because if you think about your life and your pinch me moments, I mean, all these people you're referring to, Steven Tyler, Brian May, these were your idols. And now yeah. you're not only like, do you know them? You're performing with them. Mm, yeah. There's so many great life moments like this. We were chatting the other day. We saw each other at a party, I think, during Grammy week. And I was saying to you, you know, the Super Bowl with Rihanna. I mean, that's got to be like the biggest moment of your life, right? I mean, I don't know how that is, but to play the Super Bowl and with Rihanna, it's got to be amazing and it's got to be a pinch me moment. You said, you know, let me tell you about something. There's <laughs> another moment I had which tops that. I said, what is it? He said, Paul McCartney. So I want to get into the extreme history. Talk to me about some of these moments because yeah, some look, of my favorite stories you have. Listen, I, I've been super blessed. Uh, you know, I think sometimes you, you make a choice in life where you're in your band and we had had and still having great success but there's always been this kind of I don't know hus hustle in me and this kind of want always wanting for more and and being open so when you get a call even to like you know uh, Tony Bruno who was the MD for out of New York who was the MD for Rihanna says hey you're probably gonna say no and then you make these decisions at 45 that like why not? Let me go down and see what this is about. And then next thing you know, I'm doing like five tours with Rihanna. Right. But that nine years later, nine years later. <laughs> but those things lead. Everything leads to something. Yeah. You know, and you and there's some moments like obviously the Rihanna stuff has been amazing. And the Super Bowl, of course, it's a bucket list moment at 56 to even think you could even play at the Super Bowl. And it's Rihanna's show, of course, but just to be a part of it. And I think you might have seen me on television for 1.5 milliseconds, <laughs> or maybe I'm actually being generous. You know, you know that when you do a performance, some of the great ones I've done, usually people will send you a video of watching you on TV. When you get a still of yourself, it's never a good, it's never a good sign. They, they had to like pause it. Was that him? I saw a red guitar. We'll, we'll take it. It's blurred, but it was him. I was bummed that they didn't show the band more, but ultimately I get it. It's such a huge it. production. It's re, so, yeah. it's a huge production, but you're right. They should have showed the band yeah. more because the band notoriously has always been a part of Super Bowl yeah. performances. And we played through the whole thing and the band is super talented. Uh, and it would have been nice, but you know what? This is Rihanna's moment, not yeah. the band's moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, <laughs> the network shows what they chose, you know, the her and all the dancing you know, the yeah. dancers and... Yeah. But we were talking about Paul McCartney at yeah. that, when I saw you. So tell me the story about yeah. how it came to be that you ended up like writing songs with him, which well, is incredible. You know, well, it's, it, we, we, we got to pull that back a little bit, but it was almost, it was again from, you know, the, the fruits of, of Rihanna. I had come back to finish that last tour I did with Rihanna was Diamonds and they were about to do Anti and I was just like, I can't, I can't because I love it, but I got to get back to the mothership, rock and roll, right? At some point you got to get back. And then we Extreme was on tour. We did finish our last date in Detroit, I think. And I was on the runway, and you know Jay Brown had hit me up. Her manager, legendary manager, such a great human too, a good friend of mine now, said, "Hey, you you want to do? You know, I got something for you. You want to do something?" Re? And I was just like, "No." And it's like it's like the mafia pulling you back. Right. You know what I mean? The Rock Nation mafia coming to get you. You know, you can never leave. And I was like, "No, man, I love it, but I got to get back to Extreme." And he goes, "Oh, okay, it's a shame because." It would be, you know, it's kind of a secret performance. I was like, with who? He goes, well, you know, I didn't want to bring anybody else except you because it's with Paul McCartney. And of course, I'm on the runway and I'm like, let me, I think I'm available. Let me check my schedule. <laughs> right. Yes, of course I'm there. So I went straight there and went into a rehearsal space and 
you know, and you're thinking, man, this is, this is the God of gods to me. You know, I remember when I told Steven Tyler that he was doing something in Nashville, I said, well, hey, just secretly, man, I'm, I'm about to go in. And he goes, you're drinking from the nectar of the gods, he says. <laughs> and I said, and I agree. But there you are in a rehearsal space and Paul comes in. And, you know, of course, you know, Kanye was working. It was when we did four or five seconds. It was yeah. a performance for the, but Paul walking in and you think, oh my God, okay, don't, just don't freak out. He's a beetle. I know it's Paul. It's, 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 it's your childhood. It's life. It's oxygen. It's everything music. You know, to me, it's everything's somewhere between Zeppelin and the Beatles. Yeah. That's where everybody, you know, that, those it are starts the, with the Beatles. Starts really. with the Beatles, yeah. but in the rock way, it, the Zeppelin. Of course. And, and every, everybody else falls inside of that to me. And, the, and by the way, you have that story too. So we'll talk yeah, about we'll that. We'll talk about the paid story. <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing is, so, of course, you know, you think Paul's going to walk in and it's going to be awkward and it's going to be like, you know, a posse of like four security guards, but he walks in on his own. He comes in and he's like, what's up, man? Let's play. Let's play. <laughs> and he's like, and he gives you a big hug and a kiss and he gives a hug to the guy mopping the floor. No ego, no nothing. Where I've worked with other artists that probably were in that same room that coming that probably never said hi to me, but that's a whole other story. But then three days with Paul. That should be like a TV series or something. Right. That, but three that's days, the next podcast. That's three the next podcast, Paul, yeah. yeah. Three days with Paul, and it was just amazing. He was like a 17-year-old walking in there. That's why he's so successful. That's why he's still doing it at his age, and it doesn't age, whatever skin, voice, you can complain all you want, but this guy was a ball of energy walking in, like youthful. And he's like, let's play, let's jam, man. And he's blows guitar and he's asking me how the song goes and I'm showing him four or five seconds and I'm like face to face, you know, practically making out with Paul McCartney here. And Wait, much... What's going through your head, by the way, when that's happening? I had to it's... just breathe and, and just really, you know, it's an interesting thing that happens. You either just you fold <laughs> right. or you decide like, you know what, I belong here, you know, I, I, I this, I'm, I, I made my, I carved my path to be in this room yeah. and I just had to go with it. And I remember it wasn't until photos. I think I showed you the photos later because I have to look at them once in a while to make sure it actually <laughs> yeah. happened. But we had a great photographer, Evan, and he sent me stuff afterwards. He goes, Hey man, you need to have these as a gift. And just seeing me like talking to him, playing with him and being in the same room. Yes. The Grammy performance was amazing. It was with Kanye, Rihanna. And, but you notice how I haven't mentioned anybody else yet, <laughs> right. but it was one of those things where you're in the room and you're talking to him about Lennon. You're asking about songwriting, collaborations. And then at one point, you know, like I was telling you, I thought rehearsals were done. And I and I walk over and I wanted to tell my brother Robert, who is, you know, he's the reason probably why we listen to the Beatles, that I'm not supposed to tell anybody, but fuck this, man. I'm going to, you, know, you know what? I want to see his face when I tell him. And I'm on my phone. And of course, Paul comes back in. I thought he was gone, walks right behind me. And I, and I see my brother Robert and I say, hold on a second, hold on. And I put him down. And... And, uh, okay, Paul, hey, man, take care. And he goes, well, who are you talking to? He says, I have to, you have to do the accent or else it doesn't work. It's a bad version, but it's, and, and he goes, who are you talking to? And I said, oh, I'm just talking to my brother, Robert. He goes, grabs the phone, comes over. My brother, Robert, just saw him at Fenway Park not too long ago. What a great guy. And he puts his arm around me and he goes, hey, Robert, hey, Robert. And, my, and I'm here with you, little bro, man, here with you, little bro. And Robert's just silent. He's just staring like, what am I looking at? It's Nuno and Paul McCartney. And he, I had no idea, but what a sweet guy to go and say hi to my brother. Cause he knew he was a big fan. And, uh, and then I go, all right, bro, gotta go. And it just hung up. And I think my family hit me up. I think your brother's having a heart attack, <laughs> but just, and then performing with him and the way he was with me and he would grab my phone. He goes, let's take a selfie together. I never asked him for a photo or anything, but the experience with Paul was everything you had hoped because when you meet your heroes in this, in this, in this case, God, you know, it can go bad. I've had situations where I wish I hadn't met some people that were really meant a lot to me, but this was not the case. It, it was like, it was, he, he was like, man, I'm, I'm just like you. I just want to play. I just want to jam. And then at that time, after we get off the phone, I was doing a voice note. He was in a meeting with, with Re and Kanye. I put my phone in my pocket because I, I didn't want it to fall off my amp. So I'm doing these chords because ideas come at any moment. Of course, I'm with Paul. I'm inspired. Right. But I had my back to him, and then I hear that voice again from behind. He goes, what's that you're playing? And I'm like, uh, oh, it's just an idea I have. He goes, I like it. He goes, I like it. He goes, you go, 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 well, this is the verse. He goes, well, what do you got for the chorus? <laughs> so, of course, I'm trying to engage him. And I'm like, and he goes, well, what about this? And he starts singing. He starts singing his falsetto, and I'm like, what is happening right now in this moment for two minutes, three minutes? And then, of course, Kanye came over and interrupted us, which I wanted to kill him so badly because we didn't really get to finish what we were doing. But then it wasn't until later that when I went to pick up my brother, 
uh, of the phones. I couldn't find it. And then when I found it in my jacket, it was still recording. Amazing. So it grabbed our whole little interaction. Still have and it. Oh, of course I did. I yeah. emailed it to myself like 27 <laughs> times and texted it so I wouldn't lose it. And I've never released it. I don't really listen to it. I, I'm waiting for, for, for a rainy day to go back because it's not mine. To, it was a moment that we had. And uh, it was amazing, man. Just it's amazing. so weird. You tell me that story. I mean, not as much in depth as we got into now. I don't th- I think I told you, you know, the next day I go out to the Stella McCartney party. Yeah. And so I walk in, people are like, do you know Paul McCartney's here? I'm like, where? Here? Like at this party? <laughs> yeah, Paul's here. Ringo's here. Joe Walsh is here. I'm like, oh, holy Lord. shit. I just heard, I just was talking to Nuno about like this. last night. Last night. I'm like, yeah. I got to meet him. And I didn't, I don't like to go up to people. You can't really, Same. you can't Same. approach Paul McCartney. You don't McCartney. approach him, yeah. So I was like, how do I meet him? So he's talking to Leo, who I know, but not well. And, you know, I see him say goodbye to Leo and all his friends who I do know. And then I'm like, this is my chance. I'll get in line like I'm one of Leo's friends and see what happens. So all of his friends say goodbye to him. And then he looks at me. He's like, are you with them? I'm like, I am. He's like, bring it in, mate. Let's hug. And I, I got, that's it. I got it. Like, I didn't have a, a big interaction, but it was so weird. How much, to, how loving though. But after oh, talking so, to you, but he's such a positive guy. Amazing. He's such a incredible. beautiful man. I called man. everyone. Like, I called like 50 oh people. God. I just it's, met Paul McCartney. No, that's, that's historical. And it's not even fanning out in the usual fan fanboy way it's history it's childhood it's a soundtrack to like decades of people's lives and how much he keeps on giving and keeps performing and just his attitude is just man fountain of youth in the biggest way man it's incredible you see the child every time you talk to him that well you have like 50 stories like this but take me back a little bit obviously you have a new record i want to talk about that i want to talk about a little bit the history of the band how the band started we were just talking about a little while ago all the amazing band names you had so one of them (laughs) was viking with your brothers it was like a prog rock band yeah but early on talk to me about how you met gary sharon and paul and pat and a lot of people don't know how that name came about yeah gary was in a band uh, a band that was pretty pretty well known in our circuit in Boston, Massachusetts, and even in New England, called The Dream. And uh, the band had sold the name to a TV show uh, that was called Extreme, much to Gary's dismay. I think he said he put his head through a windshield while, <laughs> when, when they when they outvoted him. And uh, uh, But the good old might, almighty dollar always wins, except for when you're me and Gary, which is, <laughs> we don't like money, which is bad, bad detrimental to the band. But, um, but the funny thing is, is that it became, they started playing without a name and it was just X Dream. So people, their fans would know they're playing. So it inevitably became extreme, 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 extreme. And, uh, and so then I remember them playing uh, two guitar players and uh, I was always a fan of Gary's. When, when, when I was in Viking, we opened for the dream. Amazing. When I was like 15 at the Paradise in Boston. And I'll never forget that because, you know, kids remember the story because always be careful that this is a small business and you don't know what's going to happen to you in the future. I don't know if it's karma or just fate, but me and my brother Louie, who was my hero, we, they were, they were uh, doing construction on the second dress room and they said, listen, everybody's going to share this dress room. So me and my brother go in there with the guitars. This dude walks in, you know, curly hair, sunglasses, and he's like, what are you doing in our dress room, man? And I was like, well, they told us, no, 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 you guys got to get out. So it was the guitar player, <laughs> Peter Hunt, who I love and we're friends now. But he kind of kicked me and my brother out. And talk about the weird karmic thing that happens that he had no idea that three or four years later. He's still on his Gary, Gary, no, Gary fired both his guitar players to put me in the band. Yeah. And, and the way that happened, that's before Gary even heard me play. How Amazing. about that? Like he was at a video release party at the channel in Boston. Extreme had a video that was doing well. Like that MTV was like on that MTV basement, you know, yeah. basement tapes, video tapes. And all of a sudden uh, a, a club owner named Jim Blute said to me, old Narcissus and celebrations in Boston, big metal nights, Wednesday metal nights. Tom Morello used to go see Extreme there as well. He told me when he was going to Harvard and it was a great scene. And he says to me, hey, come by the club. It's closed because it's now 2 a.m., but come by for a drink. It's only me. I'm just going to, you know, just knock on the door. So I'm going. I'm, I'm, I'm literally about to pass the exit, and I'm just talking about fate and how life switches. And I was just like, I'm exhausted. I don't know if I can make it home. It's 45 minutes. But I saw the Alston exit, and I almost, like, crashed. And I'm like, oh, screw it, man. I'm taking the turn. I go in, knock on the door. He lets me in. There's one other guy there with him. It's Gary Sharon. I'd never met him, and I was just at his video release party. And we actually said hi at his video shoot. That's another story. I'm in, I'm in the mother video, but that's another, <laughs> as an extra. But we sat there at, at the table, and what connected us was Jim Blute says, hey, I want to do something different. I want to do a Halloween, metal Halloween night, rock and roll night. I go, what? He goes, bands can't play with each other's 
uh, members. It's got to be from different bands come together, like a guitar player from this band, that band. You guys come together and do your favorite band. So me and Gary are sitting there, and I'm like, you know, we should, you know, maybe do Aerosmith, you know? And, and, and then I said, what about Queen? And he looked at me and goes, what do you know about Queen? Because <laughs> nobody brings up Queen. I'm like, what do you know about Queen? So literally the challenge was on. Jim Blute goes to the toilet, and then that was the end of him. And me and Gary literally said, all right, let me see what you got. If you, what's your favorite album? Because I know what you're going to say. And he goes, no, I know what you're going to say. And we both literally, it was literally like out of Step Brothers where we both say, say it at the same time. And we said, Queen 2. Never in the history of Queen has anybody <laughs> said Queen 2 is their favorite. It's a night at the opera. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. And we were like, what? Did we just become best friends? Do you want to go do karate in the garage? Like, what do you want to do? Like, Soul Brothers. Yeah, so we that was it. We started talking about music and Queen and lyrics and everything else, and it just didn't stop. Jim Blue's like, you guys, you got to go. We got to get out. It's like 4 a.m. So we swapped numbers to do the Halloween part. Maybe we'll do Aerosmith or whatever, because we know nobody's going to do Queen. Nobody can play Queen back, back in those days. <laughs> My phone rings the next day, and when I say my phone, it's not a cell phone. Back in the 90s, we're talking about the curly cord in the right. kitchen that goes for three miles. And I pick up the phone, and my mother said, this guy, Gary's on the phone. I get the phone, and Gary's like, you know, listen, man, I'm, I'm not trying to creep on you or creep you out or anything else. I, I know we only met last night, but, I, you, know, I, you know, not that there's anything wrong with it. I'm not gay, not yet anyways. We're working on it. But, uh, but I like to marry but, you. And I said, and I said, yeah, but I like to marry you. I said, look, we're all a little bit gay anyways, Gary. Don't worry about it. But... He says to me, goes, I want you to join my band. And I was like, what? I just told him I was in Sinful. And I said, we're recording an album. We got big dreams, which we did. Great band as well. And I go, no, you haven't even heard me play. Why are you asking me to join your band? By the way, you got two guitar players. And he says, if you say yes right now, I will let them go tomorrow. I'm like, they're like brothers of yours. Yeah. And he's like, you can't do that. I'm like, yes, I can. I know it. My blood, like... Never heard me play a note on the guitar. I go, I could be terrible. He goes, no, you're not terrible. But well, how did he know you were that great? I mean, it must have been. Well, he, what happened is I said, can you at least, we're playing Wednesday night, at, like this Wednesday with Sinful? And the answer is no, by the way, like for sure. Zero, like 1,000%. No, I'm not joining your band. I got my own mission. You guys got something going on. Why would you want to blow that? Comes to the gig. He sees me, brings Paul Geary down, brings some, you know, the other members of the time, Paul McGone. He comes into the dressing room after he goes, man, okay, I get it. Band was cool. He goes, I, I wish I'd never seen you play because you were actually way better than I thought you were. <laughs> and now I'm even more upset. And like, and but I was right. But he didn't bug me. Said, man, good luck with everything. See you, you know, see you in the funny papers, right? I'll see you in the charts. Leaves. Let me tell you something. When when fate happens like this, I don't know if anybody listening, watching, or even you, Scott, like ever done something like this before. But it's never happened to me before or since. He leaves the room. I introduced him to the band, actually. I'm like, hey, this is, you know, Gary's on. Everybody's like, great. Start getting, you know, rock and roll room, right? Everybody's taking their spandex off. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we're taking our, all our scarves off, the million scarves we got on. We're taking our spandex off. And then I'm standing there staring into space. And I'm, when I promised you that 10 milliseconds before I said these words, I, don't even, I couldn't even block my mouth fast enough. And I look up at the guys and I said, hey. And they stopped what doing it. And I said, I quit. And I even went like, <laughs> what did I just say? I quit? We're in the middle with Bob St. John in the middle of doing an album. The band's been playing clubs, packing clubs as well. What did I just say? And Jeff Powell was one of my best friends, the bass player in the band that I grew up with. And I just, and Jeff's like, what? You got, I go, I gotta go. I literally just panicked. I tried to grab my guitar. They ripped the guitar out of my hands because my guitar got stolen. They paid for the band, paid for that guitar. It's shit's being thrown around all the way out the door. This you know, singer screaming. It was insanity. I get into the room. The music's loud. There's metal everywhere, and it was underground. So as I'm walking out, now I'm dressed. It's like a half hour later. I'm walking out this massive stairwell that goes up to right by where uh, Fenway Park is in Kenmore Square. I look up, Gary's up there, you know, picking up some, some babe, you know, as usual. <laughs> and I'm like, and I look up at him. It was like something out of a movie, like Eddie and the Cruisers or Fine some shit. Intervention, yeah. yeah, I just look up and I look at him. He looks, I go, hey, man. And he goes, what? He goes, what time's rehearsal tomorrow? End scene, cut. <laughs> but that's exactly how quick and how bizarre 
I don't know, fate or feelings or like instinct or I don't know what you call it, divine intervention. Well, that's for when it's meant to be, obviously. 40 years later, right? We're sitting here. 40 years later, we're sitting here and, and you know, we've had golds and platinums. You know, we've had some some hits. We've had success. We still tour. we got an amazing fan base and a new, uh, and a new album out yeah. in uh, 2023, you know? Wow. So talk to me about those early days. I mean, you toured with Alice in Chains early on. Mm. That had to be incredible. I think Iguanas was one of the first uh, gigs you did with them early on. When you saw Lane Stanley, you guys were on a double bill with them. You're like, does this music fit? musically do we fit together does it not work well that's when we knew that nobody knew what to do with us anyways and 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 <laughs> is I this is about 86 maybe 87 now it's later we didn't yeah. even get yeah this is probably our first album being released till like 89 89 so. 89 and so here we are with a, a young new band as well out of seattle and yeah and we're playing what we call the, the roadie convention tour, which we used to, because the rooms were always empty, we used to send our road crew out. Can you be in the crowd and pretend like you're, you know, you're actually listening? Final to tap moments. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I, I'll, I'll never forget that first sound check that I actually saw uh, Alice in Chains. And it's, it's interesting. I learned a lot about performing from that first day or philosophically what it meant. We were always a physical band. We always were of the mind that if you weren't moving around and jumping around and, and breaking stuff, like you weren't really performers. And then I see Soundcheck of Allison Chains and I see Lane come out and Jerry and these guys and they got this groove, you know, it's darker, but it's like slower almost and sludgy. You know, nobody knew, nobody was using, the, the word grunge I don't think existed. Right. And, and there we were and I'm watching them and I'm at Soundcheck and I can't stop watching Lane. His eyes are closed. He's just standing there. He's got his hands on the mic. And it's like he's got concrete shoes on and he's just eyes closed the whole time getting lost. And I remember a crew came out and goes, yeah, man, these guys are boring. And I'm like, what? I mean, they're boring. First of all, it's sound check, you know? And I'm like, but I didn't understand, you know, I wasn't sure what I was watching. Came out to see the show, same thing. Lane was almost like what he was at Soundcheck, but all in emotionally, mm. not physically. And I learned something from watching those guys and even Jerry, great guitar player, and just like, Wow, I get it. I get it. Why like why are the hairs on my arms raising watching somebody perform that's barely there and I just want to go where he's going. And I I learned that night that as a performer that an audience doesn't come they come to escape their reality and they come to go where you're going. Not you like a circus entertaining like, you know, doing doing trapeze or something where they want to emotionally escape and go with you wherever you're going. You connect, take them yeah. with you and connect and you take them on that journey. So it's like watching a good movie in a theater and then the lights mm -hmm. come on. You're like, oh, wow, I literally got lost in that and black out in it. And that's when I, from that day forward, man, I'm telling you, I've never gone on a stage and never been all in physically, emotionally, spiritually, because that's what people connect with. You know, It's funny. You have so many great life moments. You go on to sell... 10 million records, yeah. More Than Words becomes a number one song, one of the biggest songs of the last 30, 40 years. When you first heard that song on the radio, when you first heard yourself on the radio at that point, what was going through your head? Were you like, is this really on, or am I, is the cassette still on yeah. the deck? Some people ask, like, what are, you, what are you probably your top five moments in life or bucket list moment? I'm like, listening to yourself on the radio for the yeah. first time. Because everyone takes that for granted as a fan going like, no, that's what you guys do, right? No, it isn't what we do. What we do is we sleep in rehearsal spaces and couches and we imagine and fantasize and dream about one day our local radio station, WAF or wherever it is in your area, while they're listening to Zepp and Van Halen, you, you could never imagine yourself in between those. And then you get a record deal and then I remember we were coming back from Connecticut from a gig and the van, everybody's crashed out. And I remember it was AAF and it was like two in the morning and they go, okay, coming up next is, you know, Kid Ego from Extreme, our first single. And when that came on the radio, I didn't, I couldn't comprehend what was happening. You sure that's not a cassette? You sure that we didn't put that in there? Like, and it's a DJ saying your name. You don't understand how big that is. Yeah, All right, WAF, here's Extreme's Kid Ego. And you're like, what did I just hear? Then the song plays and you can't believe it. But then it's when it finishes and then it goes into like Rush. And you're like, oh, this is real. It's not just the song on the radio. It's what was played before, a Van Halen track perhaps, or a Rush track. And you're like, whoa, what just happened? And, and you, you die. you just like, wow. You, you, it takes you for, you never, you, it's, 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 I don't know if virginity or having a child, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But it's this moment that you're like, this is real. Like you did it, man. Like you're on the radio. If it all ended that day, you were on the radio yeah, yeah, and that was the goal and you were on like 
I, I, if you, you know I talk a lot. I don't normally lose words like yeah. to describe things, but yeah, it, that's... It was incredible. It was incredible. Well, the band goes on to do four records. Some of the best moments, I would say, we were talking about this the other day, but like 1992, let's talk about a little bit about your relationship with Brian May, who we were just chatting about, about Stern. You go on to play, obviously, the, the tribute to Freddie Mercury, and you were the only band that got to play Queen. The story goes, Brian didn't actually want you guys <laughs> to play Queen. That wasn't the idea nobody of the tribute want, to nobody, Freddie. Nobody was... It's, it, wasn't, it wasn't that we were the only band that got to play. We broke all the rules, and we got into some trouble. And Brian May is the sweetest human being on the planet. So giving, so kind. But this was the first time I've ever seen him upset with me. <laughs> right. And I thought I'd be excited. You know, we, we, got, we got invited. I remember we were, in, we were in the UK for something extremist playing. And then Brian, I hit him up and he said, do you want to come by a restaurant? And I think it was him and Roger Taylor. And they had just come. They told us this was pretty heavy. They had just come from uh, the hospital and where Freddie was. Mm. Uh, and and they told us about this idea for the first time about this Freddie Mercury tribute. This is what Freddie talked about, his foundation and concert for AIDS awareness because he passed away from AIDS. And I think we might have been one of the first artists that he ever just confided in that this was happening. And then he just said, of course you guys have to play. And we were like, yeah, of course we do. Like <laughs> Wembley Stadium, yeah, right. But then he, he, he followed through, he invited us. We wanted the earlier bands but when we got to the you know we were doing three sides of every story i had just done knee surgery and i looked at gary and we were like this is this is our moment why is it our moment because we are authentic queen fans we're not just surface queen fans and the singles and the crazy little thing called love and all that stuff or a bow rap it's like we could recite every lyric every melody from all the deepest tracks and unreleased shit that nobody even knows so what are we gonna do what are we gonna do? Go play, get the funk out, and do whatever. I know that's what everybody else is. Metallica, David Bowie, Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. It was the heaviest of the heavy. Elton John, yeah, Liza Minnelli, Liza I Minnelli, think, yeah. and they're all doing this set because the format was everybody goes up, Def Leppard, everybody does their set, Metallica, and then after dark, the remaining members of Queen, without Freddie now, are gonna the singers are gonna go up and join them and do some Queen songs. We didn't care what they were doing. <laughs> we would do. We did a medley that included songs that they were doing later, which is a Big, you know, yeah, even in the business you're in, like you, what? There's a, there's, it's just on television. This is like hundreds of millions of people watch. You're gonna take Radio Gaga and you're gonna take like you know different, keep yourself alive and steal it from Metallica and steal it from like you know Hetfield and all these guys that are singing. When I told Brian at rehearsal, I thought I should tell him so he's not surprised, but I thought he was gonna be excited. He's he just went, you know, we got you here to be you to do you, to do more than words, to do your songs, to get the funk out, decadence, all that stuff. And we're like, but Brian, this is a tribute to Freddie. Nobody's going to tribute it. Like, no offense to even Queen with David Bowie. I'm sorry. It's like, we have to do it. And we, I can't even believe we went through with it. But then it hit us, the idiots that we were. We are in the studio doing an album. I think we rehearsed this thing twice. And we're like, whose idea was this to go out in front of hundreds of millions of people? And play and, Queen in front of Queen. And, and play Queen in front of Queen, all these artists, and the house that Queen built, and their fans. Right. What? Oh, that's a great idea, guys. And then on top of that, we're like, I remember being behind behind my amp and ready to go and I'm going through the arrangement in my head because it's one thing to do Queen songs. That's not what we did. Even what we did, Queen would have had a hard time doing. <laughs> we did mashups of like medleys, yeah. medleys and songs going into other songs and singing vocals out of songs that we didn't even have the key. We didn't know what we were doing. But we did it and then Brian goes up and then he does this intro that really messed us up. If we weren't nervous enough, I think I almost vomited <laughs> when he said, these next guys, I'm, gonna, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something of the tune of like, these next guys are, are, are real friends and they're possibly the only band on the planet who knew, who truly know what Queen are about and what Freddie were about all these years. When I heard that, I first was like, uh-oh, because <laughs> if that's true and we're going, but you know what? I'm a, you know me, I'm a modest guy. I'm a humble guy, but he was right. I'm sorry, he was right. He, we are that band, and we are the band that could take it live, and we did it. And I'm telling you, it was the right thing to do because anybody who wants to gives a shit about Queen and, or Extreme and wants to watch that, it's, it wasn't even us. We were literally, you know, we were literally channeling Freddie. 
And that audience and that crowd is what they wanted. And they sang every song, not because Extreme was doing it, it's because somebody was doing it. Yeah. It's what they wanted to hear, to heal, to celebrate. Yes, the tunes at the end were amazing with the legends, but it was even that was different than that. Uh, and I'll go on record saying that. It was great. But what we did up there in the rock sense, in the punk rock sense, if you know what I mean, yeah. was like, fuck it and go for it and do like, you know, stone, you know, stone Cold Crazy until like, it was a blackout moment for us. We're just trying to get it. And when we saw the crowd's reaction, what band tributes Queen and opens with Mustafa? Nobody. The second Gary opens with that, they know there's something's going on here. Nobody would have the balls to do that. And real Queen fans know like, uh-oh, they know. They know, Freddie, they do, he's right. And from that day onward, it's been one of our top three career moments of our life. It was so insane to the point when you get off stage and Elton John gives you a kiss on the lips, you know, and, and, and even, you know, and you got Bowie standing there with a saxophone and every, you're like, and people <laughs> are going, and people are going, man, that was, that was something. And I, the most important piece I think was John Deacon, who's so quiet, the bass player for Queen. And, you know, he, he barely talks to anybody. And I remember I was walking backstage and he had, he came up and he goes, Hey, I was in the car on the way here and I was listening to what's going on and thank you. You know, he said, he goes, that reminded me of almost when, like when we were at Live Aid and we just, you go, he goes, quietly, I think you just stole the show. I think you just, you guys paid the most ultimate tribute. Coming from the bass player and that meant everything to me because we got into a lot of trouble and by the way, imagine this, Extreme Just Breaks just has a hit album, hit songs, two of them, your record company, says, oh, holy shit, now in front of tens of millions, perhaps hundreds of millions, you get to play your catalog and let everybody know who Extreme is and do all your songs, and we don't. And we do Queen instead. Do you know what? how upset and what that means in marketing and dollars and the millions? That's how much we love this band, and that's how much... We, that's why that moment will always be one of our biggest moments. By the way, the inception of the band was based on Queen, so it makes total sense. I didn't even connect that dot. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So there we are. Yeah. Me and Gary talking about Queen 2, and then how many years later we're playing Wembley Stadium for Queen fans? I mean, that that is some other shit. You know? Well, we got to talk about the new record, but two more things. We were talking about your top moments in life here, and, and two stories we have to touch base on before then, because... I, we could do this for five hours. <laughs> but uh, there's a story about Zeppelin and yeah. Jimmy Page coming to see you play at the Astoria with John Paul Jones years ago. So talk to me about that moment. And I think it was like 2008. You know, the, there's a knock on your door and all of a sudden the dressing room door opens and it's Jimmy Page. And well, knowing what a big Zeppelin fan you are, tell me what that meant to you. Well, that was, you're absolutely right. Especially when you don't know what's coming. And so you missed one thing though. There's a knock on the door. The door opens. Doves fly through. Right. <laughs> Doves come through first. And then... And Prince and, comes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Prince comes. <laughs> and then in walks Jimmy Page. And it was Rod McSween, our booking agent, that drove him down. And Justin Hawkins was opening yeah. for us. He was doing a solo tour. I, I figured when I saw Page walked in, I'm like, oh, he's in the wrong dressing room. He's here to see Justin. You know, because they're both you know, British yeah. and, all, and whatnot. And, and then I saw Rod come in and I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? And... And I joked, I said, you're in the wrong room. And Jimmy goes, no, man, you know, we're here. To, I want to hear to see you play, like in an intimate space. He's never seen Extreme. I've met him before, but briefly, like backstage somewhere. And, you know, like you said, like Paul McCartney, you don't meet Jimmy Page. You don't talk. You just, hey, what's up, man? You know, like, but here he is now in our dressing room coming to see you play. What are you supposed to do then? And this is like when Extreme is doing a two and a half hour set. And we, you know, and we were sitting there talking for about 45 minutes talking about Portugal. He's talking about how much he loves going back there and he plays this guitar called Guitarra de Terra, which is our local, our, our, our guitar from our country that has a specific sound, a specific sound. He, he gets it made by this guy. You know, he starts talking about Cachaça, which is this, this like moonshine, of course, <laughs> that yeah. Jimmy loves there. And, he, and then he pulls out, you know, he's, he's got it all. And, and, and so all of a sudden we're like, all right, they leave. And we're like, oh my God, now we got to play. I got to play in front of Paige, right? But before he walks out the door, he's leaving. The door opens again, more doves fly in, and John Paul Jones walks in. And John's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And Jimmy's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And they didn't know that each other were coming. I knew there's a slim chance that John Paul was coming because we just did Japan together and we did a project on tour together. That's a separate podcast because I want to hear that story. That story is insane. Yeah. So then now they're both there and they're going out and, all right, we go out. And when that happens, 
you're almost not playing for the audience anymore. I'm sorry, audience, whoever's there, but you're now all that's on your mind is like, this is my shot. The kid that was in the bedroom, that Portuguese kid, that immigrant that was there learning immigrant song, yeah. learning all this stuff. And Four Sticks was inspi- you know, inspired Midnight Express. I said it on stage that night. I didn't say his name. I didn't want to you know, like name drop, but I was like, there's somebody here that, I apologize, you can have this back when you're done, but this rhythm and everything came from Four Sticks. But as we go on, as we're walking out, Rod McSween comes back and her agent says, hey, Nuno, Jimmy, sometimes I, t- uh, you know, if he wants to go to a show, like he went to see Muse recently, he'll usually say hi beforehand because, you know, he's older and he's Jimmy Page. And once people find out he's in the building, it's a wrap, right? So he's like, he's probably going to leave after like four or five songs, maybe a half hour or whatever, because that's what he does. And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, I'm offended. Just the fact that he's here is great. He's here. He yeah. made the effort. We go up. There's a there is glass now in the in the balcony area, and there's some tables. Of course, they there it is right on my side, right in front of me. It's John Paul Jones sitting with with Jimmy Page, like there's a spotlight on him for, for God's sakes. I'm like, great. How am I supposed to focus? I'm just you know, I'm gonna go all in, and here we go. Half hour goes by. I look up. They're like you know whispering to each other and saying, and I'm like, oh my God, I hope it's good. Hour goes by. They're still there. Hour and a half. Two hours. Two and a half hours. They're still there. And like clapping chair and standing up i'm like what is happening right now and obviously they stayed for the encore you know as a matter of fact i think that night you know what we did for the encore the queen tribute it's mm. the only time we ever did it i mean it's all coming yeah. full circle it's yeah. all coming around so go away and then you know uh robbie as you know when you when you're best friends and also my manager says to me hey i just got a text from rod he's in the car with jimmy he's like, i don't know if i can should show you this or not i'm like stop messing with me did he hate it did he like it um and uh he said something that i'm not going to repeat but it was pretty amazing he he, he said now we got to know what it was oh uh, i mean he, he i hate talking about this stuff because it feels a bit braggatory but he literally he said he goes that was one of the top guitar performance he's seen his like one top three guitar performance he's seen his, in his career and 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 he might be just being nice. He's probably being nice, but I don't care about that part of it. That's why I don't tell people that part of it. It was just the fact that he showed up tells you that he came down and stayed for two and a half hours. Were I you nervous? You have to be nervous when Zeppelin's standing in front of you. I, I was mean, nervous, you know. but it was almost like, you know, like it's like, it's like being, it's like your Super Bowl. Right. You train your whole life for that <laughs> moment. You, 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 it's the adrenaline. It's the in. adrenaline. And it's almost like you're proud and you just want to like, now you want to like all those years of just sleeping in rehearsal spaces, touring, you know, missing your kids, your divorces, fucking funerals missed, like all the sacrifices that everybody thinks it's all like a glamorous life. Yeah, it is on the stage for that moment. But then the rest of it, man, it's, it's not easy. It's yeah. not easy because the other 23 hours or 22 hours, you're away from everybody you love. Exactly. You're living your dream, of course. But then, like, after the 265th show that year, you kind of just want to go take the garbage out and just be <laughs> right. normal for a second. Yeah. People forget about that. Well, let's talk about the new record. You said that you never want to release anything that you can't wait to share. It's been 15 years. As I mentioned before, I've had some time to suit the record. It's amazing. Um, Rise, the first single we were just talking about, you know, Again, did you ever imagine there'd be this kind of reception? Like, two million views in a month or two, it means that people were dying to hear what you guys have been working on. So now yeah. that it's out there in the world, you've had a chance for to kind of digest what's going on with the record, and we'll talk about the record in a moment a little bit. Uh, kind of what do you feel about all the feedback that's been going on with the record? Well, I mean, look, we it's like you, it's like I said earlier, you get excited to share it, you know, and, and once you get that feeling of, you know, putting something out, and it's that basic feeling that you have. It's like you write a riff. You, you know, and people say, well, how did you know? This is, well, how do you know when to put something on? I said, you know what? It goes back to when you're 12, 13, 14 years old. It's that simple. It's a feeling you get when you write a riff, a simple riff or a hook or something or a solo, and you're doing it, and you're just like, oh, man, I... You call your best friend up. You're like, Nick, can I show you something? Can I play you something? Or, 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 it's, or it's a guitar player you know. Or it's friends that or you it's have. Tom Morello or it's Tom Morello. Yeah, yeah. We're in a studio sitting <laughs> yeah. all huddled in with Steve Vine and everybody. And you're like, when you get that brave brave enough to be that proud to like, man, can you check this out? Like, is it possibly what I think it is? That's when you know. If you can share it to those two or three, four people in your life that are super important, that'll tell you the truth, the good, the bad, and the ugly, then you're ready to show it to two, three, four million people. That's when you know. It's the simple thing that when you, you got to go back to when you were a kid. It's not about marketing. It's not about, is it going to sell? It's not about, is it a hit? It's, it is. It's like, 
man, I, am I really like, do I have that giddiness of like, I can't wait to play you in the car? Like, hey, man, we'll take a drive. I want to show you something. It's that simple. So who do you play music for initially when you write it? Are you playing it for Robbie? You're playing it for who, your family? You're playing for your brother? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's my biggest fan and critic at the same time has got to be me, right? Either I'm playing something and I, I know I say, it's, it's just, it's like the day I was cutting the solo to rise, okay? Which leads to a story I don't think we talked about. We might as well, we might as well cover another legend here because this is, I didn't know this until a week ago. So imagine I'm doing, an, I'm doing press like crazy now. Like, you know, I think I got my first U.S. guitar magazine in 30 years. Amazing. Last time I was on Guitar World cover, we checked. I think it was back in the 1900s. It was 1993, <laughs> literally 30 years, 30 years ago. So as, as I'm doing this press and doing interviews, they were talking about Rise and they're talking about how Rick Beato, these guys that are like now the guitar connoisseurs, they, they, they're, the, they're the tastemakers and trendsetters and they know they, they're great at breaking down Sting stuff and old classic stuff, but also new stuff. So they really- Even Justin Hawkins did something on it Justin too, Hawkins, right? yeah. so, but Rick is really respected. Yeah. Like all the guitar players now, it used to be, can I be on the cover of this and that? It's like, wow, I wonder what Rick thinks, you know, <laughs> right. he's that guy. But then out of nowhere, you get a surprise that he does break it down. And he's, he starts by saying what I told you. He goes, I'm in the car, Phil X calls me up. He goes, have you heard the new, new solo? He goes, no. All right, then, then Steve Lukather calls me up. Have you heard the solo? Like, meaning this thing, his brother calls him up. And he's like, what the hell is going on? So then he heard it, and he's doing this thing, and he's telling the story. But my point being is it wasn't until I was talking about Rise when they were talking about it, and I said, when I record guitars or do anything in the studio, obviously, if you love the album, I produced it, mixed it, and engineered it. If you don't, it was I'll tell you, it's some guy from the 80s. But, but my point being is I'm usually by myself in my studio. You've been up to my house. It's a little room there and whatever yep. it is. I don't like anybody interrupting me, even asking me for a cup of coffee if I want a cup of coffee because it takes me out of my game. So, and Gary knows this more than anybody else and he's in town to cut some vocals. I'm up in the room and I didn't know, I've told this story, but I didn't know what I was recording until a week ago. I'm getting this thing that people are saying, I was like, oh man, Nuno's the guy now, man. After Eddie, Nuno's the guy. Like, you know, he's the heir to the throne, whatever. And which by the way, nobody's taken that throne, nobody. Edward, Edward's throne is Edward's throne. The rest of us, you know, he's the last of the Mohicans when it comes to guitar players that changed the game. I wouldn't be playing like that if it wasn't for him. So there's no throne airs and stuff like that. I just, I'm just hoping that, you know, I'm carrying that torch a bit and he's looking down going, you did good kid and I'm, I'm good with that, keeping that alive. But ironically, speaking of Edward, I'm up in the studio and Gary said he's going to lunch. I said, yeah, be back by two. We'll cut some vocals. My phone is vibrating like crazy. I see it's Gary. He's like, he knows better than to call me. I'm, I'm, I'm recording again twice, three times, texting me now, where are you? Come down here. And I'm like, I finally come, like, leave me alone, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm literally recording the, ri the Rise solo and I had just latched onto this thing I was doing at the end of it. And I'm like, I'm in the zone. So he's like, come down. I'm like, oh my God, something must be wrong. He's like, come down. I go downstairs. It takes me a while to get downstairs to the street. I open the door, Edward's there with him. And I was just like, okay, this is a good reason to interrupt what I'm doing. And it was amazing. And Edward was super cool. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And had you known he was sick at that point? Or? No, we had obviously we had all known a little bit about what he was going on with his tongue and different things. But you know, he was seeing a doctor and everything, yeah. and it seemed. And and by the way, everything we were seeing on socials at that point, he seemed cool. Yeah. You know, he seemed okay. Um, but he he seemed okay in person as well. <laughs> Two things happened. One is Edward's there, and the second I cross the street, a car is flying up my my neighborhood up in the hills. And this dude passes us, slams on the brakes to the point where he almost sideswipes into the side of the mountain, leaves the car running, gets out of his car, runs over and bows down oh my God. in front of me and Edward like, oh my God, hey Nuno, hey Edward, thank you. And he gets, runs back in his car, no photo, no nothing, gets in his car and takes off. It was the most bizarre experience of me and Edward were laughing like, what does this even mean? I'm sure it was for Edward, by the way, not me. Trust me on that one. I, I, I would have bowed as well if, if I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of my own house. But he's excited. He's telling us about Wolfie's new album, which we all know about now. He's playing some tracks in the car through the window. I could hear it. And then he tells us some great news. He goes, hey, between us, you know, it's, we're, 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 we're bringing Michael back. We're going we're gonna to go out the way we came in. You know, we, you know, with the original cast, we're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Overdue. Fans are going to flip out. It's amazing. And, of course, he's like, you're doing an album, right? You're upstairs. Gary's here. I'm like, yeah, man, I want to hear some stuff. And I'm like, you know, the Virgo in me and the producer in me is like, yeah, yeah, I got to finish. You know, let me let me wrap some things up. Let me button it up and mix it. And, and he goes, okay, all right, I'll come back. Now I regret it, of course. 
But he uh, wanted to come up and hear the solo. Yeah, I think yeah. he would have like wanted to. You know, we probably could have had him come up and listen to some. But you know, I was just like, oh, man, it's Edward. Man, it's got to be right. It's got to be done. It's yeah. got to be done. Uh, it wasn't meant to be, but. I didn't know I was doing the Rise solo until it occurred to me that day. I remember because I even looked at the date. I have a, a chart of everything that I do and the songs and the scheduling. And it was that day that he was there. And then ironically, didn't know it was going to be the first single. And also, I remember that the beginning of the Rise solo, I was just did it organically, but it so happens to be, you know, you are what you eat, right? So, so happens that it's kind of got that eruption sort of beginning to it. Of course, I went up, I've never used a Phase 90 in my entire life for this specific reason, that once you put it on your sound, it's Edward. Yeah. He owns it, it's over, you're cloning him, don't do it. And I was like, I had three of them in the corner that I've always wanted to use, and then I put them on, I'm like, I can't, I can't, you just can't do it. I'm talking through the years, decades. So finally I'm like, you know what, screw this. Just for this one, I literally plopped it in, and I'm like, fuck it. You know what I mean? And because I was so inspired. And then it wasn't until he passed that a lot of people got misconstrued that, oh, Nuno did this album because Eddie passed and it was a tribute to him. That's not the case. The album was pretty much done. But there were little things like this, adding a phase 90, doing a few things, and, and kind of like when he passed, I felt this like almost responsibility as, as a disciple of his. To carry the torch. To, to, to carry that torch for our generation of people that are influenced by Edward and that type of guitar playing that you don't see a lot anymore. And uh, I'm excited. That's one of the reasons I'm excited about the album. Yeah. I was just excited to just share it with people. And, you know, for it's that a phenomenal reason. record, by the way. I think by the time this comes out, there's a couple new singles, Rebel, Banshee, yeah. should be out. Yeah. My favorite track on the record, Other Side of the Rainbow, is exactly what I envision the next extreme single to be. I don't know if it'll be a single, but it's my favorite track on the record. Love that That's track. actually my favorite guitar solo is on that, uh, on that song as so well. So by the time this comes out, it'll all be out there. So definitely yeah. the record's dropping in June. A couple quick questions before we go. We always do this fun thing where we like to ask top five here. So for new I, I was afraid of this. I watched, <laughs> I watched all, your, all your podcasts, so I was afraid of this well, one. Let's talk about this. The top five most underrated guitar players of all Ooh, time. Ooh, you're throwing me a curveball here. Most underrated. Underrated. It's Nuno Betancourt, Nuno Betancourt, Nuno Betancourt. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, Besides listen, Nuno Betancourt. All right, you know what? I'm going to go Neil Sean. Number I, five. I'm going to go Neil Sean. I, I, don't, I can't do an order. I'm sorry, but I'm going to go in order and, 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 and as they pop into my head because I didn't know everybody, I didn't know this was coming, this question. So these are always the things you sit in your car and you're like, damn it, why didn't I say? <laughs> but Neil Sean, because he's just, it's very difficult to play for a song. I'm telling you, to play to rip something and do something crazy, but to do something that people can sing, that people can will will just raise the hair, you know, uh, the purple rain of it all, those solos, and what and what Neil Sean has done to me is so underrated. Elliot Easton's another one to me that plays. These guys all do something that Brian May taught me, which is play for the song. Always play for the song. If it's a fun song, if it's crazy, if it's play with me, then go nuts. But if you can, uh, Elliot Easton played the perfect solos on every song. Uh, I'm going to have to throw in, I think, my favorite guitar solo of all time in there, which I think is the greatest guitar solo I've recorded is Hotel California. Yep, great. I'm going to have to throw in both those guys in there, you know, Joe Walsh, of course. And and that solo, once again, talk about a solo that did so much and was like so long, but we could sing all of it if we wanted to. Yeah. Uh, number two in no particular order. Uh, number, number two, two number in two. no particular order. Uh, Aldo Miola for me. Aldo Miola changed Rock My World and changed everything. And that's why I play muted like I do. That's why a lot of the stuff, even people here on Rise, a lot of that stuff comes from, I, I'm, I'm from a drum background. And that's the, one of the things I spoke to Edward about that we had in common and why his rhythm and his swing and everything he did, his pocket was so good, is because he was a drummer. And you, you know this. Yeah. It's like, I love playing drums. Every, anytime I get a chance to jam, it's not guitar. I just want to <laughs> jump on drums. But that entry of playing... And when I heard Aldo Miola, there's an electric uh, rendezvous, the album, what he did with Paco du I mean, that rocked my world, changed my life in the way that I play. Um, I think the last one for me, I'm sure there's more, and I apologize, I know there's more, but one of them, and this is a player that, an album that he did called Go For What You Know, Pat Travers, mm. the live album, is my funk rock Bible. It's just, Great one. oh my God, I mean... Getting better, the song hooked on music. It's I'm telling you, if if 
people that are fans of mine that don't know this and go see it, they're gonna they're gonna call they're gonna call me and like there's gonna be a protest outside. Like, how could you <laughs> how could you take his whole thing? No, but that's it's I'd, I'd say Pat Travers, and I still see him play live, and I still I'm like a kid. I've seen him at like Monster Rock, and I'm in the second row out front, right in front of him, and watching everything he's doing. He influenced me so much, and in, in in that pocket, he had Tommy Aldridge in the band, he had Pat Thrall on guitar, Mars Colling on bass, and that live album, and not only that, Snort and Whiskey, that song, yeah, specifically. Forget about it, man. And and last but not least, uh, for our, our last question here, the top five greatest rock and roll frontmen of all time. <laughs> First one is Gary Sharon. Yeah, and Gary Sharon, without a doubt. And 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 listen, it, Gary could be here telling you the same thing I'm about to tell you. I think, uh, you know, obviously Freddie Mercury. You got you know uh, Robert Plant. Uh, you got your uh, David Lee Roth. I mean, come on. Come on, can't miss David. Come on, David's David's David, yeah. and and he 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 brought the party while everybody else was being serious. Just from the singing perspective, he brought a showmanship that rocked the world, changed the world, just like Eddie did. They brought the party. The party was on, and we needed that. We needed that because I think musicians in bands sometimes take themselves too seriously. Yeah. So that's what I loved about Edward and David was the playfulness they brought, and and I think even with Extreme, we've we try to keep that playfulness and that fire there as well. Did I did I leave number some? one? There's one left. One left. Oh my God. Uh, I would have said Robin Zander on that list too. But you know what? Uh, I think I think Robin Zander. You're right. But, you know, and and I think he's a great frontman. But you know, it's interesting you said this. There's this frontman and then there's singers. Yeah. You know what I mean? And of course, Robin Zander's on there. That's why top four is hard. It's supposed to be top ten. <laughs> but Robin Zander for sure, for certain. But this, you know. Uh, but listen, we forgot. I think probably one of the most important ones that affected Jagger. Well, Jagger, you can throw one in there, and Gary would kill me if I didn't say Jagger, but there's one more that till this day, I'm going to say this out loud, that till this day, I still think he's singing better now, and over the last Tyler. 10 years, Tyler. Yeah, we can't. We can't I've never, he's the coolest, yeah. man, and yeah, he came from that Best. Jagger school maybe, but he's his own guy, and he's probably one of the greatest frontmen ever, Definitely. period. He might be number one. He might be number one, yeah. and I've never, I don't, Freddie's a great singer, but I've never seen somebody in the last 40 years of their life and he's still alive and well and God bless him I hope he lives another 20, 30 years but singing the way he's singing now at 70 whatever it's incredible it's insanity How I don't even know how it's physically possible well pick up the new record six we can do a part two part three we can do this for hours Yeah. so next time we'll Let's schedule the four hour podcast for sure the record should be out June thank you so much for coming in it's always a pleasure my brother great to see you thank you for having me man I've been, I've been begging you to be on this Listen, for, been, for, for, um, for I'm years I'm so happy to see you and we'll do part two coming up this is Lips LA always a fun conversation with the guitar maestro Nuno Betancourt pick up the new album stream it everywhere Check out his festival and follow us on all platforms on social media at Scott Lips at Lip Service Pod. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, please make sure that you give the show a good review wherever you get your podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you use. It's super helpful to us. Next up in a few weeks, we got a good one for you Bella Thorne and Danny Thorne. Theme music by Robbie Hoppin. Thanks to our sponsors, Blue Chew and Thursday's Boots. Thank you, everyone, and see you next time.